think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. my god <laughs> hit it thank you very much for listening to try love a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we've seen uh we are in the midst of our non-lon boys pick series currently uh discussing films that we do not expect to play at the trilon as their programming schedule overlaps with some episodes we already recorded uh my name is jason daphnis you can find me on twitter at nintendoofus uh, i probably should have dropped this at the top but our podcast can be found on twitter at trilove podcast you can follow the trilon cinema at trilon cinema and at trilon.org where you can get tickets to movies that are actually playing there um good good god cody take it away Sure. Um, yeah, I'm Cody Narvison. I've got a great glove. I'm a decent leadoff hitter. I can steal bases. But am I worth the $7.5 million a year that the Boston Red Sox are paying me? No. No. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Wow. I couldn't help but notice you didn't have a quote, Jason. Did you forget to do one or did you... Um... Hey, let's just continue with the episode. Sure. Well, I have a I have a couple because this is a, a movie that largely concerns a guy being told he doesn't know what he's talking about. So a lot of those <laughs> quotes hit me very close to home. So I'm choosing between either I'm out of my depth or when I make mistakes on this episode, don't interrupt me. Uh, I'm Harry Mack and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. As I mentioned, this is episode three in our non-lon boys pick series. Uh, again, these are films we don't expect to play at the trilon anytime soon. They are totally and uh, completely dictated by the whims of our uh, hosts. We've gone with uh, my pick was Raiders of the Lost Ark previous episode. Uh, Harry's was second with Perfect Blue. Both wonderful discussions of wonderful movies we came to love or already loved. And uh, this week, I'm going to let Cody introduce his pick. Sure. Thank you. Um, yeah. Hi, I'm Cody. My pick this week was Moneyball. Um, it wasn't, I'm not going to say it was a, a formative movie for me necessarily, but it does depict a, uh, you know, a moment and a movement in time that really uh, influenced me. I, I spent a lot of my youth being around different sports and the, the early 2000s, you know, kind of when this movie takes place, that was when Something clicked at some point, and I suddenly felt very drawn to baseball in particular. You know, I was already playing it, but I wanted to follow Major League uh, Major League Baseball more closely. Also, you know, kind of in the background, I wanted to go to games. I wanted to read the box score uh, box scores in the newspaper each day. I wanted to collect baseball cards, and I wanted to learn what the little numbers on the backs of baseball cards meant. Um, eventually, I got to reading Bill James handbooks and baseball encyclopedias. Uh, cover to cover, literally. Um, not necessarily fully understanding every metric. Uh, I still don't, for what it's worth. The calculations keep getting more complicated uh, over time. And my brain is quite small. But the uh, the idea in general of using analytics and additional context to inform narratives is something that made a big impression on me at that time as a young person. Um, full disclosure, uh, because we're learning about each other here, my two majors in college were statistics and film studies, and I currently do not make money off of either uh, of those fields of study. Uh, once upon a time, I too thought I could graduate with a, a bachelor's degree in a math field and immediately get a job with a major league baseball team. 
but uh, such is life. Uh, and I find myself here today, and I'm very uh, grateful <laughs> for that uh, to be talking about this movie. So it all worked out. Um, but yeah, there's no, you know, there's kind of a suggested rationale for what our non picks should embody, as Jason went over. Uh, I, in part, picked Moneyball because it explains who and what I am and what I have gra- uh, gravitated toward in life more than nearly any other movie I could have selected. Um, yeah, I don't envision the trial on ever showing this movie. Um, you know, that was certainly something I considered, though that would be cool. Uh, and a coincidental bonus was that uh, nobody else here had uh, had seen it before yesterday, uh, is my understanding. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what we all got out of it. And uh, with the absence of Aaron uh, Summary Boy Grossman, I will clunkily try to describe what Moneyball is. It's a film from 2011. Uh, it's about the the story of the Oakland Athletics um, and general manager Billy Bean, whose uh, successful attempt, you know, it shows his uh, successful attempt to put together a baseball team on a, a sort of shoestring budget by employing computer-generated analysis to draft his players, um, sort of a, a pioneer for his time, uh, so to speak, uh, in the film. Uh, Bean, who is played by Brad Pitt, and assistant general manager Peter Brand, played by Jonah Hill. Uh, they're faced with the franchise's, again, limited budget for uh, acquiring players. Uh, and so they build a team of undervalued talent by taking a sophisticated uh, sabermetric approach uh, to scouting and analyzing players. Um, it is based on a book by Michael Lewis, which was published in 2003, shortly after the, uh, the events of, um, you know, that you know real life this happened uh, in 2002 um i'm gonna pause to take a breath anybody else have anything to say before i jump into uh, my take about this movie am i missing anything uh not so far uh i, no, I, I feel think like you're doing a great job yeah i feel like you've outlined your like i don't know how much rationale we need for any of these but sure i will say this is a movie you've talked about extensively without me ever having like any visibility into it or what it's really about. I remember you mentioning that it's a movie more about numbers than baseball. And I thought, okay, that puts me closer to being, to watching it. But I knew for <laughs> a fact that I was not going to watch this on my own, especially uh, anytime soon. So I think it's a perfect version of a, of a non-line boys pick and a perfect version of a Cody's non-line boys pick. Wow. Okay. I'm on a cloud. That's yeah. Okay. Great to hear. Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll take it away with sort of my like editorialized, you know, uh, I guess it's already been pretty editorialized up to now, but you know, this is a film I've always loved for its subject matter first and everything else. Second, you know, rose tinted glasses, uh, approach, but I do really appreciate this film's mission of we're going to take this story and these situations that are not necessarily, traditionally cinematically sexy and make them palatable for your average audience. Um, most of this movie, it takes place in the underbelly of a baseball stadium in cubicles in offices and sometimes on a baseball field. And in order for all this to work, the viewer needs to become not just accustomed to, but comfortable with conversations about baseball and contracts and on base percentage. Uh, you need to be down with not hyper stylized sequences of athletes doing cool things like hitting home runs, but instead hyper-stylized sequences of athletes doing very boring things like keeping their bat on their shoulder and walking to first base uh, as for how these sorts of things are communicated, you know, the discussions of analytics and sabermetrics and getting it down to one number are, of course, you know, they're pretty streamlined here, but the very general logic of the thing is laid out pretty eloquently. I think uh, Aaron Sorkin co-wrote this movie. I've never really considered myself a, uh, 
a Sorkin slut, uh, I think is a term on the internet. Um, but I've liked the <laughs> movies I've seen, uh, that he's written. I have not seen them all. Um, but I, I like the Steve Jobs movie and the Mark Zuckerberg movie and this movie. I like all those, um, quite a lot. So take that as you will. Um, I realized that some of the things I trended toward in our discussion of Perfect Blue last episode, uh, they sort of came back here and that a lot of what sings in Moneyball uh, to me is the deconstruction of the idea of people as assets. You know, both the the phone conference sequences with other general managers and the scenes of Billy Bean having progressively more human conversations with uh, with baseball players are all engrossing and powerful each in their own ways wow. but the the juxtaposing of them together helps create this wrinkle this seed of uh, a question you know which is in what way should we be reframing not just how we view baseball or how we view sports but more broadly how we view systems you know major league baseball like every other sporting institution uh, uh on the planet at least in america uh is inherently evil uh, it's anti-youth it's anti-reform it's anti-idealism it you know it wants to remain an enterprise that's overseen by groups of crusty white dudes off in dusty rooms somewhere, as we see in this movie. You know, it, it does not want you to ask how it could be different. It wants to keep dealing in the same uh, good body nonsense, as Billy Bean calls it. And it wants to turn a blind eye to those whom the good body nonsense has failed, uh, including Bean himself. Uh, I guess in this way, it is you know, it, it is an anti-sports sports movie. Uh, I legitimately have my love for baseball reaffirmed every time I watch or think about Moneyball. But part of that relationship needs to involve reconciling the fact that baseball is imperfect. Uh, sports are imperfect. Uh, baseball uh, in particular comes from a, a shitty history and is actively flawed in many ways. And yet it's easy to love and easy to be so romantic about it. And maybe that's the part of it that speaks so well to folks who uh, watch this movie and aren't so baseball inclined, but that's something we'll probably, you know, get into it. It might make us, uh, make itself more clear later as we talk more about it. Um, yeah, I've, I've talked enough. I love Moneyball. I love baseball. I love capital S stats. Uh, and I will try to be coherent for whatever directions this conversation goes in because I could talk literally endlessly about these things. Um, for now though, I will lob it over to Jason and he will promptly hit it into the bleachers. Oh, I, that's a swing and a strike. Yeah, um, that's. I was going to say that is not what my player evaluation concluded about Jason, but I appreciate oh no. the vote of confidence. <laughs> oh boy. Well, uh, well, you know, I know how to walk. Um, I really love where you went with that summary, Cody, because it's opening like even what twelve hours after yeah, we watched shit, this movie, dude. it's opening a whole lot of an understanding of what I uh, like more than I had understood about the movie as of last night when we watched it. Um, but like just to speak to my own experience with it um it's it's you know much is known about the fact that i'm not really that into sports i didn't grow up with them um my you know relationship to sports is is very inverse from a lot of uh well maybe not a lot of the folks but at least two of the folks on this podcast right now is that like there was no influence almost whatsoever from uh you know parentage or you know my friend group uh towards sports which never really you know put me in that camp um but I think that what I don't understand on that side has only enriched the um, like experience of watching this movie from the like, is this a well-told story? Do I understand the pieces? Is it internally consistent? Does it look good and all that? I think that all of those things, this movie 
pun intended, knocks it out of the park. There's like, it's well paced. It's well shot. It's well acted, especially, and we commented on this multiple times by the character actors in the back. Um, some of whose faces you, you recognize some of whose, you, some of whose you don't, uh, but it's just like a very engrossing, real feeling plot. Um, it's very restrained. I think Cody, you mentioned uh, like you went into that a little bit. It's not super sexy, even in, even as it's dealing with its, you know, unsexy subject matter, it's not really positioning that in the most like a uh, uh, flashy way, which is exactly the opposite of the assumptions that I had about this movie. Um, but it's like, I, what I love about what I ended up loving about Moneyball is that it's not so much about, you know, the love of the game and all that sweet sucker of the, you know, um, the, the, um, the great American game and the big show and all that, as it is about understanding the thing you love deeper. Um, and I know that your experience with it and the experience you've told me about this with this movie, Cody, uh, enriches that for me is that, like the plot, while a bit formulaic, it ends up feeling a little bit more intense than that because like it's not focusing on the most gamey parts of it, the most like culture-y and, uh, you know, center stage-y, the grand slam moments. It is, of course, tucked away in back rooms. It's not, there's not even like once we go to the room where it happens, quote unquote, where there's a shitty computer and we're typing out lines of code to mathematically predict the best player for the position there's not even like the room where it happens type feel. It's still very much just a straightforward, like romanticized eventually and sentimental. Sure. But not over the top or flashy way to present the subject matter, which I really connected with. Um, I did not think that I would, there's uh, still a whole lot about this movie that goes over my head, but it ended up not mattering. It's about like putting the right pieces in place, but not necessarily polishing the best of those pieces. Like, we only get a couple montages of players playing and they're usually playing like absolute dog shit. And you can see that they're not where they're supposed to be and that they're in a new context. We're not seeing them, like you said, hitting the grand slam. We're not seeing them like have their uh, climactic moment a whole lot. It's very restrained. It's very toned down. Um, I have babbled more about this than I probably should. I'm, I'm here to learn, but uh, suffice to say, Cody, just you explaining this movie is going to go a long way or excuse me, explaining like, elucidating your own understanding of and your own reasons for liking this movie is going to help me a lot in understanding it. Um, but this is the part where I, um, I'm just going to roll it across the green to, uh, to, to Harry. Sure. A grounder. I can scoop that up. Sort of a bunt. Maybe you, you pass along. Um, trying to get to first as always. Classic. Um, feel like I'm always just trying to get to first, you know? Um, yeah, I like this movie a lot. <laughs> what? Uh, Jesus it's, Christ. um, it's, it, works really well for me in a couple of ways, some of which um, both of you um, elucidated to use Jason's word uh, really well. And particularly, I think that um, mentioning Aaron Sorkin is important to this movie, right? Because I think that this movie fits Aaron Sorkin and his particularities uh, better for me than most of his subject matter. Um, I am distinctly not a Sorkin slut, so to speak. Um, I have some pretty deep seated issues with him as I think a lot of probably like millennial leftists do right where i think his comfort with and deep love for appreciation and mythologization of um elements of america um have been deeply harmful <laughs> like not only oh, in definitely. fictional context but like yeah. in the world um and but that is better suited for something like baseball which as he himself sort of notes by uh film proxy it's hard not to be romantic about right um despite that um there's a great irony to this movie which is that it is very much sort of an anti-sports movie the way that cody you mentioned and it, it comes off as very um elegiac and uh wistful and disillusioned and um not 
not bitter, but um, but smarter. And and it's a it's really a coming of age story, not only for Billy Bean, but for an entire idea about a country or an idea or a um, an approach to understanding life, right? And I think that the way that this movie's central metaphor incorporates real history and real statistics and a real seismic shift in a real sport that people can relate to and respond to um, and marries it to Billy Bean's sort of character arc in this movie is it's just a really winning combination. I think, I think that it like, it's just a story that really understands what it's doing and pulls it off um, straight from history itself um, in a way that, that I think the best of Aaron Sorkin's screenplays can do. Um, And, you know, I want to give credit to um, Stephen, um, Zalian and the director Bennett Miller. Um, and also Brad Pitt is phenomenal in this movie, I think. Um, but I think that, that it works really well and it, it works that metaphor, that, that sort of understanding that, that grows. And, um, we can talk, uh, in later on about sort of, um, determinism and value as people versus value as systems and sort of like the myth of exceptionalism. I think that this, this movie has a lot to say about all of those things. Um, and it has a lot to say about remaining human within those systems and still sort of like loving and being affected by and being um, inexorably defined by these structures that no longer are what you thought they were and what that disillusionment does to a person and what you have to, how you have to live in that. Um, it's almost Sisyphean by the end of this movie uh, in a way I really like for oh, Billy yeah. Bean, um, which uh like it made the last half hour of this movie, like, like tremendously impactful to me in a way I wasn't expecting. And in a way that frankly, I think, uh, um, biopics usually lose me with, um, and it's going to make it hold up really well on rewatch, I think. And even formally it communicates that, um, Jason, you had brought up that there's, there's very much a, like a behind the scenes, the room where it happens feeling an art to this movie. I mean, I think I mentioned while we were watching it, it's wild that like, I think 80% of this movie takes place in the actual A's clubhouse. And it's like, it's just a, it's a fucking like tan and beige and dark green movie because it's actually where the magic happens, quote unquote, uh, as Jason put it. Um, and using character actors communicates a lot of that too. Aaron, um, God rest his soul, um, said that uh, this reminded him a lot of the Sopranos with its use of character actors and people who are not traditionally um, good looking, which is uh, a brilliant analysis on his part. He's not here. So I can be a little bit nicer to him than usual. Um, And all of that actually like it integrates with what I was saying about the central metaphor of this movie. Right. Which is that like, like, at a certain point, you can't play the children's game anymore, right? And this this is a movie about what it means to understand that the game that you thought was one way, and I mean the game in the metaphorical sense, right? The game of America, the game of baseball, the game of being a person is not what you thought it was because it is actually derivable or it's, it's um, solvable or it's there are formulas at work and it's bigger than you and smaller than you at the same time. And you are subject to it in a way that you maybe thought you weren't, um, or in a different way than you thought you were. And I'm sorry, I'm rambling now. I know, but, um, it, it's a really good, really, um, 
it's it's like a it, it's like an elegy to to an idea, right? And I think that that like using baseball as a metaphor for that, and particularly using this seismic shift in baseball, um, is a really brilliant way to make that happen. I think. Hello, all. Aaron here. Sorry, I wasn't able to be on the episode. Something very badly timed uh, came up at work. Uh, and I had to deal with that during our normal recording time, so I do apologize. Uh, I'm sorry that I did not have the chance to talk about this film, uh, Moneyball. Um, I'm ultimately happy that our audience was uh, spared the pain of, of listening to yet another uh, total nerd attempt to talk about sports. Um, you know, the fact is that I'm not a sports guy. I am definitely not a baseball guy. Uh, but, you know, I am also not one of those people that, you know, ironically uses the phrase sports ball uh, when no one wants to talk to them at Thanksgiving. So, you know, I like to think that I'm not totally uh, insufferable. Um, and I found Moneyball to be a really fantastic film for a few reasons, uh, partially uh, because it's a good film. Uh, partially, I also think it's the most Cody movie ever made. Uh, so great pick on Cody's part. Um, I do realize here that I'm, I'm probably just repeating like little bits that were said on the episode. Uh, so I'll just say that I do have uh, an overall take on this film uh, that might be counter to what my co-host thought. So I guess we'll see uh, when I listen back to this. Um, but my take is that Moneyball uh, ultimately succeeds not because of the really gritty statistics and team management aspects that everyone likes to talk about. Um, I really love those elements. I think that's what initially gets you. But I think that Moneyball really succeeds because those elements ultimately uh, help prop up what is essentially a really solid baseball movie. Um, this isn't a movie that's too smart for baseball, right? Uh, this isn't a movie that's about outsmarting baseball. It's a movie that's just about baseball. And even though the main characters uh, fight against this kind of old school traditionalism uh, that hinders new ways of thinking, uh, this movie also has kind of soft post-rock playing underneath emotional scenes, right, in order to kind of manipulate your feelings a little bit. Uh, you know, it has slow motion shots of players running around a baseball diamond, uh, you know, shots of grass swing in the wind and whatnot. Um, it is a movie that genuinely loves baseball. Um, and so even though I don't love baseball, uh, I could feel it rubbing off on me. So good on Moneyball. Uh, you won. I guess. Um, I don't know whether that take will be agreed with. I could see my co-host arguing the opposite, right? That this is a movie that seems like a typical sports movie, but it actually is, is hiding kind of this, uh, uh, you know, uh, a different uh, core underneath it. Um, I don't think so. I think this is a really good baseball movie that is, is kind of propped up by these other elements. So that's my take. Um, excited to listen to the episode, though. Thanks, Cody, for the great rec. Uh, the great watch. Um, I had not seen this one, despite knowing that I should have. So it was it was good to watch it. Uh, I will join you fellas uh, next week. Thank you. Hell yeah! Um, loved hearing what you two had to say. Um, like getting uh, getting onto, I guess adding on to what you two were kind of noting about the the things this movie chooses to to glorify and not glorify, and like this. I guess adding on to my own notes about this being like an anti-sports sports movie. And I guess uh, in some ways, like the, the use of character actors or rather like the, the lack of big names or name recognition, just to kind of contextualize this movie a little bit more like this team, this Oakland A's team was really good uh, in 2002. Um, and it's very pointed that the focus is on 
a handful of people who, you know, like, you know, Scott Hatterberg and, and Chad Bradford were very you know, solid players. They were not the stars of the team. They were the, you know, the guys that sort of, they raised your, your team's floor. They were sort of unheralded. They had defects as people in the movie sort of re- refer to them. Um, this team had a lot of star power though, uh, like sort of at the top of it. This team, had the MVP award winner and the Cy Young winner uh, in the year 2002. And like kind of ironically enough, Miguel Tejada, he won, he was the American league MVP this year. And he by most counts is not like a money ball friendly player. Um, You know, if you were to go back and, and like check out this team's roster, he had like the lowest among the lowest frequency of walks on the team. He was a very free swinger. He hit for a high enough average and as you know, Billy Bean, you know, the character would say, you know, who cares how he gets on base, whether it's a walk or a hit, but he was, you know, he draw, he drew very few walks. He was a, a more flashy player. And then you got, um, like this pitching staff, which again, we only talked about Chad Bradford really in, in the movie uh, and a few other names who are sort of in the bullpen, not necessarily starters, but you got Barry Zito, who was, uh, the American league Cy Young winner that, that season. And then, uh, him and Mark Mulder and Tim Hudson sort of rounded out this top three, which was one of the best, if not the best kind of like top three, like rotation groupings in, in all of baseball at, at that time. So just like a really, sort of unique like combination of players and like the fact that this movie like again very pointedly steered steered clear of that like fits in sort of our understanding of this not being your standard biopic not your standard sports movie because those movies would like uh, otherwise like glorify the you know pro- properly glorify and probably i mean all, those guys all have stories you know that brought them to the, the big leagues but we're very consciously not talking about those those mvp candidates and and this, instead talking about these uh you know these these little littler guys and i guess to contextualize this movie now you know this this understanding of baseball it's it's happening all the time this sort of moneyball-esque approach to everything like the meta for baseball now does I, I i like to oversimplify two of the big components are defense and bullpen depth which are two of the things that like the moneyball in 2002 steered steered away from and the movie says it you know like i don't care about defense i don't care about righty lefty but like the 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 standard for the game today is that you know like the Oakland days now have one of the best infield defenses in all of baseball they also you know like kind of known for pursuing as are a lot of other teams with pursuing a lot of you know arms for their bullpen and sort of reducing the the loads of starters like you know Zito and Hudson and Mulder um so this like this willingness to like look at the game differently it seems to have been like somewhat perpetuated and and sort of like you know the the first one out of the the first one through the barrier always gets bloodied up but like just i don't know look at baseball now and it's like obvious how how far it's come i think i had some other thoughts but i i need a sip of water or something harry what you got yeah well i was just gonna say i I don't mean to sort of put you on the spot, but you've already, and you've already tackled a bit of this, but I think a big part of what makes this movie so brilliant um, is the way that it leverages the real story of sabermetrics and the real story of, of the money ball, right. Of the, the seismic shift in baseball meta that, that these two men implemented after their own sort of stories led them to that point. And so um, it, Jason, I guess if you don't mind, if you don't have anything to say, um, Cody, I was going to, I was going to ask if you could sort of just give us an overview of what that, 
actual like meta shift is and like what these two guys were were doing in baseball because the movie does a pretty good job of contextualizing it um even for somebody like me who who didn't really have a, a great understanding of it before but i think like you we need to understand that to really understand where the the metaphor of this movie relates to sort of broader contextual ideas about baseball and america and sort of like um coming of age in general right so could you sort of describe what the um what the shift is and what it was all about yeah absolutely um and the if you've seen the movie they again i I think they do a pretty good job of explaining in broad strokes and i'm a little bit removed from reading the book um the book is great though i you know if this at all sounds interesting to anybody you should definitely read the book um it's quite good but the general idea is you know um uh, americans i'll say specifically are used to to looking at certain things um and we're you we're using the term sexy uh, and unsexy to kind of describe these things and that plays a lot into it you know uh, uh somebody who hits a lot of home runs and is is like a very flashy player might be you know traditionally sexy by like baseball standards they get a lot of money thrown at them the sort of idea of moneyball is saying you know look beyond the flash look at you know these spreadsheets crunch the numbers and you know we're not necessarily looking to buy players we're looking to buy run production and what are the sorts of things that go into like producing runs because you produce more runs you win more games um and you know this movie kind of generally is like you know we're we're, we're all for getting runs not not necessarily stopping them defense kind of takes a back seat and that was sort of like what the early goings of moneyball was it was like how do we maximize our offense and you know it, my opening sh- uh spiel that quote was uh an in-movie discussion about johnny damon who is like a pretty like decent example he's somebody who you like baseball fans or you know people online whomever like might refer to them as counting stats he's somebody who who gets a lot of hits he steals a lot of bases um he played for the oakland days and he was you know sort of electric in that way that's something that that like like old people love to use uh to describe uh you know baseball players in, in sort of broad terms you know he's electric he he looks good out there um he's got a great ass i don't know whatever else you want to say about people um but like you're looking beyond the numbers he's very you know he like how much value does he actually add to a team and you know it's not necessarily a bad thing that the boston red sox paid so much money for him and took the you know took him off the a's hands as peter brand himself says uh, like in like a reading that always gives me chills like his sort of diatribe about all that is like it opens up so many other fascinating possibilities and that's where this sort of idea of you know who are these people who are not as as sexy as flashy who don't do the sort of things that typically get recognized you know looking beyond all that flash what are the sorts of uh what are the sorts of things that people are doing that we can throw money at you know to to sort of fill in the cracks and as they say like replicate this production in the aggregate and i'm already getting like more granular than i wanted to but that's that's sort of the idea is like you know taking faces away from these players um like looking at numbers making it a more scientific process to make better informed decisions uh and like that's what the a's needed to do because they didn't have the money to buy you know somebody like jason giambi who at the time was a very like sabermetrics friendly player he was drawing a lot of walks and he was he was producing a lot of runs uh and that was something that the 
the Boston Red Sox were able to do a couple years later in 2004. They took like an analytic, analytics driven approach with the help of Bill James to buy, uh, you know, they, they had bought Johnny Damon, but they, you know, also were able to obtain a lot of people who, who could get on base uh, and could hit a lot of home runs. And like they ended up winning a world series off, uh, off of that. And that's, I don't know. That's, that's just sort of where we're at now. Just like a, a constant reevaluation rather than, you know, we're just going to rely on the people who could, hit home runs and do like these handful of things really well and trust that that will get us to where we need to go. And that's like very not the case. Yeah, that that's really well explained Cody and, and sort of like my jumping off point with that and the sort of headline of it is that you can see why these quote unquote good old boys in baseball would chafe at this so badly, right? Because it is, it's an alternative narrative for the course of baseball history past, present, and future that really decentralizes the exceptional and decentralizes the mythologized figures at the heart of baseball. It's saying that really success in baseball is not about these titans, right? These larger than life figures. It's about a strategy behind the way the game is played, right? Like where getting on base is so important that it doesn't matter who is doing it or how they're doing it, right? So like walks are important, base hits are important, um, pop flies that that advance your runners are important as long as you're making runs. Um, and so it's it's a process that it, that is fundamentally rethinking the, not only the way baseball works, but also the way athletes work and the way that stories about athletes are told. Um, these there are all of these characters, the Philip Seymour Hoffman character, a lot of the the scouts that that represent the old sort of exceptionalist viewpoint in this movie, where baseball is about finding the greatest players to create the greatest stories about these players, right? And the the game of baseball being played is about producing this story about exceptionalism and about triumph over the odds and about um, personal sort of um, personal, uh, I use triumph already, but, but um, victory, right? And this, this approach to baseball is fundamentally changing that by suggesting that actually the the story is the game itself, right? And it's it's the players and the or it's the team and it's the narrative and the the joy of baseball. And I'm getting ahead of myself now because this is sort of where the ending goes. But the joy of baseball and the romanticism of baseball is its ability to produce stories. Period. Not necessarily stories that that um, collate to the exceptionalist Titan narratives that these, right. these men are looking for. But in general, the sort of the romance of baseball is, is in the idea of that under the right circumstances, uh, the numbers line up just so that you can see God in them basically. Right. And like this, this, um, this big Greek guy can hit a home run and not even realize that he hit a home run and trip at first base. And everybody's laughing at him because he doesn't know that the ball went over the fence. Right. Um, and that is, it, it is a terrifying shift because it's, it's a, it's a shift away, not only for the exceptional, but, but away from the individual in general. Right. Which means that we're all subject to it. Right. This, and that's kind of why it's an anti-sport sport movie. Right. Is because it's like, this isn't about Billy Bean's story. This isn't about even um, Jonah Hill's characters, uh, Peter Brand's story. Exactly. It's not. A, it's it's about story, right? It's it's about what story actually is and where it actually comes from, and where it actually comes from is determinism, is numbers, is history, is sort of like it um, a miraculously complicated combination of things that lead to these points, and appreciating those points is more complicated 
than appreciating the the narrative that the sort of human mind has to thrust upon it. But because we're people and because we crave that narrative, it ends up becoming an exceptionalist thing, right? It, it ends up becoming about the person and not the story. And uh, I think that the metaphor of this movie is about showing how that story is what's important and what's true and real, but that means necessarily we have to divest ourselves of this sort of um, really self-centered individualist notion about what produces those magic moments and what produces people um, towards something that's that's more group and broad and, and historically minded, which is which is a scary thing, right? Because it's it's sort of a coming of age thing. It's a thing of saying like. Like the world is not about you. The world is not about your story. You are just a participant, a a much, much smaller piece of a much, much bigger thing. And there's something deeply humbling about that, right? And I think that's sort of the arc that Billy Bean goes on. It's the arc that baseball's going on. It's sort of the arc that this movie is suggesting we all go on, sort of as a coming of age thing. Um, and I think it's a that's a just a really brilliant way of expressing that that sort of um, smallness and disillusionment and also um, harmony that that comes with that realization that you are not as big as you thought you were. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I, I guess to go off that, like part of the the other thing that's playing into this this fear that these orchestrators of the game of baseball have, like breathing down their necks, is this time clock that's running over everything um you brought back the the line of like you know we're not able to play the children's game forever and we're all just waiting to be told when that is like not only is that you know it it, you know clues you in on on the need to recontextualize this game that's been a part of your whole life and has been a part of you know you know centuries uh but like the it, it makes me think it, and that's another one that le- another like, moment in the movie that like gives me chills because it, it reminds how fleeting and fickle sports are. Yes, um, yes. Like there are, you know, like uh, again the sort of like humanizing uh, element of of baseball. Or there there are scenes that this movie plugs in very smartly to show like we're bringing in these these new players, we're bringing in these assets, which means we have to dump some of our assets. These are people that we're going to have to demote to the minor leagues and they might not get a chance to play the children's game anymore. There's that scene with that, um, I forget the player's name, but he has like braces around his knees and uh, like the camera just lingers on those braces for like an uncomfortably long time. Uh, and like anybody who's played uh, a sport or, or really like suffered an injury uh, of any kind that prevents you from being able to like move in the ways that you would like or, or do the things that you would like to do can empathize with like that scene that moment that idea of like someday i will not be able to do the things i'm able to do anymore and like speaking more broadly like someday like we might not be able to like walk on two legs anymore you know it's a it's a frightening frightening concept uh this this movie like sports is about death right like that's straight up what all of sport is about and what all of like the the central metaphor of this movie is Exactly. And the, the guys who were, who were sitting in that room somewhere, not wanting to like shift the status quo in any way, they want to remain immortal. They, they want to live forever. They don't want to, they don't want to adapt and they don't want to die. They don't, they want to do neither of those things. 
And baseball, through fame, is providing these men with an opportunity to allude to that. Now, you'll have to forgive me because I literally just finished The Song of Achilles like literally half an hour ago. I've been reading. It's a brilliant book, by the way. People should read that. It's a really, really good book. But but, uh, you, you sort of connect that backward to like... Like the idea that that baseball, the great American pastime, it's like that's our our um, coliseum, that's our gladiatorial sport, right? And it's it's the same sort of like uh, idea of fame and immortality, right? Is that these stories are what allow people to live in perpetuity as bigger than themselves? They become the legend, right? Like uh, we talked about Sandlot, and it was like heroes get remembered, but legends never die. These are these are people who were in the business of making and promoting legends. And in doing so, thought that they, what they were doing was telling a story that was bigger than them uh, and telling a story that would that would exist and last. And the process of, of discovering Moneyball, of discovering the sort of stats, the ghost in the machine, if you will, it's like uh, – it's it's like giving um, the power of God to people, right? Where it's just like you can see the way this shit works, it, you know. Like it's like it's like discovering what evolution is and being like, oh shit, like this all came from somewhere and it's going somewhere, and all of a sudden it's not about like. It's it's not about the exceptional. It's not about the gladiator anymore. It's about the game itself and the course of history. And that is so scary because it means that that you are just a pawn in a much larger story that's playing out and that everyone is subject to the same death in the end, right? That that it's that it's all that it's coming for all of us. And the end of this movie does something really beautiful with that, which is that it says that that is actually a great equalizer, right? Because like just like all of these players are people who want to stay in the show and people who want to be a part of this beautiful thing that they've made, they're all also destined and doomed to the same fate, which is for it to be over. We can't all play the children's game. Some of us get the call at 18. Some of us get the call at 40, but we all get the call, right? Like baseball is going to keep happening and it's going to keep happening without you. And that's just the way it is because you're just a player, you're not the main character anymore. Yeah, this is all, like I want to bring Harry back to the concept of determinism as we were as, as you mentioned because um like there is there's a notion throughout Moneyball that uh Billy is a Billy Bean um is sort of cutting through decades of uh you know baseball bullshit basically um there's the scene where he fires his scout where he says i've seen you you know sit down with dozens of moms dozens of parents and say uh, when i know i know and i know about your son you know and, and you don't uh like it's it's sort of all a myth it's built on nothing it's fairy dust um but of course it's paralleling with his own you know failures and his grappling with his decades of bullshit as you know failed player and as you know as estrangement from his family and stuff and that's just like to me i just chalk that up to like good storytelling like we've we've built personal stakes into it into a larger statement about you know the um the systems that sort of govern and dictate the humans within that system um but like there's the irony that the numbers aren't on the side of the system and yet the system has been throughout like the decades preceding this the events of this movie and the events of like the, the whole moneyball thing uh that the closest thing they have to objectivity is in fact subject to the least objective thing in the world the you know the very human element at the core of the game um just you know it it's it doesn't like 
it doesn't create any new thing about the game. It just highlights certain new aspects. And I guess where I'm going with this is like, it's not preaching to me, to me, like it, it is state it is stating very clearly, but like, uh, it's not preaching in any way about the alienation from like the art of the game or the love of the sport. Uh, and, you know, sort of the overbearing, um, uh, hierarchies and patriarchies that exist within it to like keep, uh, the underdog down sort of thing it's not, there's not much of that because there's a realization that like all of the work that's being done within the system is still contributing to the system. It's just that the human element, the like tenacity to the, the desire to see, like Harry was saying, those stories generated, um, it drives the use of those tools, which have always been there. Just, you know, they were discovered, uh, the numbers as like an engine for those, just like, right. Like a realignment of, of the humans as like the ones who grapple with the tools that they now, like we've spoken in so many episodes, but most recently in our perfect blue episode about people grappling with tools that they have to understand the world. And we're just centralizing that in the world of baseball, right? Like we are taking the new, like the only thing new about this story is the fact that there's a new tool that humans can use. And how are they using? How are they not? What, what is it being, how, to what end is it being used? Am I on any kind of track here? Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. That's, that's a much more articulate way of, of what I was trying to say when I got a little too flowery and I said it was like giving the the power of the gods to the humans. But what well, I mean you did is that like finish reading Song of yes. Gaze, so I, I uh, like like it is like the mechanics though, right? Like it's like it's like Billy Bean and um Peter Brand, they like opened up the hood of baseball and they saw like what made the story engine run was like, oh, like it wasn't actually about these people and like the these exceptional individuals. It was actually like the right circumstances and the right people in the right places at the right times that created the stats that allowed for these narratives to emerge. We previously only understood the narrative without understanding the mechanics behind the way the narrative operated, but now we see the way the narrative operates. And there's something deeply dis like literally disillusioning about that. Right. Because it's like what we had seen was the, the shadows on the cave wall. And now we can see the things that were producing the shadows on the cave wall. And there's something about that. That's like, it's like the death of the dream. Right. And that's I think Billy Bean is is a great subject for that, because this was the dream that he uh, had spent his life believing in and that he made the choice to participate in. Right. Like he was that guy who could have gone to Stanford. Instead, he he wanted to be a baseball player because he wanted to be immortal. Right. And it, it didn't work out for him. And so a big part of his arc is about why is he doing this? Right. Why is he why is he depicting these mechanics? Is it a personal vendetta? Is it a rage thing? And it, it turns out, um, and that that would be where where it would be preachy, right? Um, is if is if Billy Bean really was like, well, fuck the game that that f- screwed me over. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you all that it's nothing but math. But that's not what happens because baseball doesn't change, right? And like I think there's this there's this fantastic moment in the end of this movie where even Billy Bean seems to realize that it's not going to change, right? That like, even Mm -hmm. though we see the mechanics, the story is still there and we're still human beings and we still see the story, even though we understand the engine that's operating it now. And there's something like, like both beautiful and sad and like, like really heartening about that, right? About the idea that like, and, and it is a metaphor, right? It's a metaphor for the fact that like death is coming for us all. It's a, it's a metaphor for, um, how like, I've I've said it before, but existence precedes essence. It's a, it's a metaphor for the way that like being a human is fundamentally a process of making your own meaning, not a process of finding the meaning that is there for you to find. Um, 
and it it works really well and it has like really huge implications that that are far reaching because of that right it's it's saying that like even though now we understand these things fundamentally we're still human we're still subject to the story and the the thing to do the the way to grow and learn from this is to then um use the story better or or use it more equitably or um try to try to have more empathy because of it or something along those lines right yeah i'm really glad you landed um upon the point you did uh and explained so well that like the the realization that billy bean has um kind of galaxy braiding of like nothing's actually ever going to change or at least if things do change it's not because of me or because of the Oakland A's organization, because like, again, I think he realizes that like the status quo, like it's not going to move the meter in that way. And like the movie illustrates that gradually as well. Um, We get like during the handful of montage sequences of the Oakland A's, like starting, you know, they're playing like shit um, and (laughs) eventually a small sample size and all that, but they eventually you know, climb up the standings and the, the newsreels and like the radio pundits or whomever, like they, they go from a narrative of like, this experiment was a failure. Everything Billy Bean is doing is all for naught. this, you know, we should be calling for his head on a platter. Like he should be fired immediately. And then when, when the A's do better, it's, it's not because of his, his uh his um you know uh pioneering you know it's not because of like the things that the the that he's doing with with peter brand it's you know because of the you know the the players are are doing well in the field which is correct but it's also you know it's put on art how the sort of traditionalist view of like the manager is you know managers are great for baseball teams obviously um but the sort of like you know art how really really pulled this around you know anything from you know the institution of baseball on down to dissuade uh you know folks from giving any sort of credit to this this person who's like you know surprise is doing this with a different mindset than what we're used to um the character of art how painted in this movie as a sort of villain which you know um i I guess kind of rightfully so and, and played really well obviously by philip seymour hoffman you know one of the one of the goats maybe the goat who knows um but his story is also kind of interesting not to like pivot randomly i'll I'll keep this short but the like the fact that you know the oakland days had a great year last year as well um they only did like one or two games better or wins better rather in the 2002 season this sort of idea that like art house in a tough spot because like yeah, he like coached one of the best teams in baseball. Why is that faith not being brought down from, you know, the the higher powers that be to like give him more guaranteed money? Um we the movie doesn't really dig into that a whole lot um because that's not really what the movie is about, but like I if anything it plays favorably into our reading of like the the futility of like trying to change systems, right? Like to to change that architecture in some way. It's always going to suck for everybody unless you're sitting at the top. Um yeah, Harry yeah thanks um i think i i don't think that's a digression because i think all these things integrate right but like i think you're you're describing really well what works so well about billy bean's storyline here right is that in the end the great irony of his character is he is subject to the same um the the same nostalgia the same sort of like human weakness of uh need for centralization and narrative that 
he had been combating up to this point, right? Where like he he ends up staying with the A's and he sten- he ends up trying to make his system work and win the quote unquote last game of the season because that is the new narrative that he wants for himself, right? Is that he's the guy who invented this. He's the guy that found out what baseball really is. And he wants to make it work with the team that he loves. And he, he doesn't want to have to sacrifice the, the romance behind that idea. But of course, like the other thing about this is that like life itself, baseball is a stupid, broken and unfair sport that is determined by money. Right. So like, yeah. like, the, like the game or the movie itself states like the moment, the year after Billy Bean invented this system, everyone else started using it. And then it was exactly where like we were exactly where we started, where the, the teams with the most resources kept winning because now exactly. they just had the right tools now. Like all he did was invent the new tool that became the standard. Everyone else reverse engineered it immediately. And so it's not about him. It's still not about him. Uh, all that all that's changed now is that we understand the tools for making the stories that we want to hear more, um, which, which is cool. And I think that that like it almost retroactively justifies the sort of light hand and sympathy that all of these these quote-unquote good old boys like philip seymour hoffman's character were given because like they are ultimately also just men who are enamored with or obsessed with this narrative about who they are and the way the world works and don't want to see that stripped from them even though on some level their defensiveness implies that they know it's not true right um, like he, he knows this, this general manager knows that, that death is coming for him. Um, but if he's doing well and if he's doing well in a way that, that seems to, um, I validate his understanding of the world, who would want to see that, that validation, um, taken away who would want to see that gone right like who would want to be told that you aren't actually the person you thought you were because the world isn't actually the way you think it is um and ultimately that happens to all of us and ultimately none of us are ready for it right including billy bean including baseball players everywhere including people everywhere like that's what's going to happen to us definitely and to be clear i i don't think we're really saying anything to the contrary but just to be absolutely clear i don't think this movie is like it's not uh encouraging viewers to be like sympathetic to billy bean more than the story like warrants you know what i mean it's it's not saying like hey feel 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 bad for this rich guy um it very easily could have done that and this would have been a very different movie but i feel like there are consistent enough reminders sort of in the background of like who billy bean is like it's like set in conversation just like oh no his job's on the line like people are calling for his head there's never actually any danger of him being fired like especially in a season where like it's posited at the beginning like we are rebuilding the oakland days if you are a rebuilding franchise like that is the hugest asterisk and like grain of salt in everything that happens like they lost they're they're you know it'd be different if they had money to lose they don't (laughs) they had one of the lowest if not the lowest payroll in baseball and we get enough shots of him like sitting very comfortably in his own home 
drinking whatever it is he's drinking at the end of the day the shots of him in uh his his ex-wife's you know robin wright and spike jones's house like everybody is very comfortable he says offhandedly you know i'd like to be able to send my kid to college which feels more like a joke you know in retrospect like he's he's fine um (laughs) like the the sympathy that like I feel like viewers are encouraged to put forth is not directed at him, like certainly at his and, and Peter Brand's struggle. Like they're both gonna be fine. They're educated, experienced people in this field. Like it definitely like it's meant for these players, you know, these these instruments of the grander instrument you know this tool that's been discovered these players are are the assets the instruments when some guy gets sent down to the minors never to be seen again to effectively die in the grand scheme of baseball we feel bad for that we are supposed to feel bad for that that is that is sad uh you know um so yeah i i don't know maybe you maybe you gents feel differently but that's kind of like like a just you know a footnote I, i wanted to put in no, I mean that that's exactly right and we're we're running up against my my issues with Aaron Sorkin, right? Which is that I think he ultimately falls on a very different place uh in yeah. terms of how we have to feel about the system that produces these things, right? Like he he is like well, baseball, like America, is something that that we have exposed as deeply flawed and broken and not ever actually the way it was. But damn it, we're human beings and we got to love it anyway. Um, turns out I don't feel that way. Uh, and I don't really think anybody should feel that way. But I... I am much more sympathetic and romantic about it when it comes to baseball, which is something I have a lot of fondness for than I am for, say, uh, the the government institutions of the United States of America, which is usually what he uh, levels his romanticism at. Um, but, you know, similarly, like it, it even kind of works for Billy Bean in the sense that, like, the reason Billy Bean is here in the first place is because he benefited from that that ridiculous myth of meritocracy that. Um, that that uh put him in in the seat in the first place that put all of these guys in the seats right like the the guy was a ball player uh and and uh stanford hopeful it's like he didn't get this job by being the best at what he's doing he got the job because of the story that existed about him um and that story ended up coming back to haunt him right as it does all of us but but you're right right like there there is sort of like a a category asterisk here which is that like baseball is terrible and shouldn't exist. Like, of course there are homeless people in the United States of America. Some of these guys make upwards of $10 million a year, like make it make sense. They're hitting a fucking ball. Right. But like, it's, it's, it's about that. So, I mean, I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to say is like, you're right. Like, I don't think that this is a, this is a movie that is in my mind sort of redeemed because part of the, the idea is that, the the absurdness of realizing that your story is a false one it comes for all of us including people like billy bean um and i i think that this movie um it does that relatively successfully in my mind right like the last line of this um the last line of this movie is is billy bean's daughter singing to him you're such a loser dad just enjoy the show right um and i think that 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 is pointed it's it we're not we're meant not meant to think that Billy Bean is this mythologized figure, even though he wants to be. The whole point of this is that there are no mythologized, like mythological right. figures. That it's just a, it's a game. It is indeed just a game. Um, I guess on the note of like things that stand the test of time and being remembered, um, and I, I'm kind of 
the barrel of my thoughts about this movie. I mean, it's not empty, but as far as like things that we can tangibly get through uh, on Mike, you know, I'm, I'm approaching the end here, but one thing I did want to bring up is um, at least like explaining kind of the, it's kind of the climax of the movie. It's, you know, the, the, the situation or like the thing that happens that people most, maybe most remember from this Oakland A's team, if not from Moneyball itself is the, the 20 game winning streak uh, that they put forth in the 2002 season, which is like an, a very interesting thing to unpack for a lot of reasons. And I'll try to be, like I said, coherent about this, but like th- the idea of a baseball team winning 20 games in a row is that's like a batshit ludicrous idea. Like that goes against all like, pr- like all odds of the universe. Like that's a nearly impossible <laughs> thing that would happen. Even, even with like the best of you know teams that can be put together, like twenty games in a row is is nearly unheard of. It's only happened a few times in history. One time, kind of recently, uh, that I will uh, get into a little bit after this. But like you know, so like that that idea of randomness uh, and like other variables playing into the success or lack of success of a team is like it's very real and hard to communicate in this type of movie. But like the idea of it cosmically coming together to be like Billy Bean put together or helped to put together he and Peter, you know, they put together the best sort of team to tackle this insurmountable feat, you know, uh, done by few other teams in the history of our planet. Um, and like the, the way that that came together does make for, you know, a really, you know, a nice, good story. Um, the, the record, of the, I guess the things that the events that took place in the movie that sort of the Royals came from behind, like capped off a massive comeback, and then the A's put it away in a game-winning home run. Um, I looked that up not uh, over the last couple of days like I should have, but I looked it up like some time ago when I watched this, like rewatched this movie last year, and I'm pretty sure that that's like verbatim what happened—a sort of game-winning home run, very storybook. Um, the the Cleveland baseball team, I'll leave it at that. Um, in 2017, they uh, set the new record for consecutive wins at 22 games. Um, from what I could tell, the 20th and 21st victories uh, were not, or at least the 21st victory. I didn't look at number 20, but number the 21st victory box score was not like nearly as storybook or or fun the 22nd uh victory in a row uh by cleveland was you can i mean you can find highlights of it online it went to extra innings it was a come from behind victory uh for cleveland um like very i guess you know again storybook in in that own way um so yeah i don't the, the sort of faith you put into like and they reaffirm it in the movie uh, between Billy and Peter, the sort of like, do you believe in this thing that we're doing? If so, you don't need to rationalize. You don't need to explain it to everybody. Don't feel that you need to just like believe in it. And that belief turns into like real life, uh, uh, not to overuse cosmic, but like cosmic, you know, uh, uh, results, you know, this sort of magic fairy tale record. Uh, that they that they broke and and set. Um, so I yeah I don't know. I remember I remember seeing that on like a, an Oakland A's team baseball card I got in the year like 2003 or whatever. Just like oh, okay, this team won uh, very casually 20 games in a row, and I was like, wow, that would, that's something I'll need to look up uh, at some point later in life. And uh, lo and behold, I uh, I have. I'm talking about it right now. Wow, amazing. Well, and that's like the the central damning subversive metaphor at the heart of the Moneyball idea, right? Is that like winning 20 games in a row is the kind of rule-breaking nonsense 
that creates immortals that like everyone in baseball always wanted. Everybody wants to be Babe Ruth, right? Remembered forever because you're so good. You can break the rules. Like that's what immortality is, right? Is, is this idea forever out of reach, but like just, it's just over the horizon that like, if you're good enough, you never have to die. Right. Like it, nothing will ever, like it won't ever come for you the way it came for everybody else. But instead they're doing that. They're achieving immortality through like very nerdy manipulation of math and narrative itself, right? To, to produce these, um, these effects. And in the process, they're, they're proving that the mechanism never actually worked that way. It was never actually about being so good you could break the rules. The, the game, the math is actually bigger than that. And like even the people who did that did so because it came together for them the way it happened to. They're putting it together now manually in order to prove that. And that's what's so scary, right? And it is. It's existentially de- depressing and scary because it, it's suggesting that actually the way it works is this it has nothing to do with you it has to do with the universe right like the way that that circumstances come together and now we can shape it just enough to prove out that that thesis um which is which is again like why why i think this movie's metaphor works so well even though you're right cody like it is it is um of course like all things baseball and like all things America, like completely within the sort of circuitry of privilege and access, right? Like all of the, we've joked about this being the whitest movie ever, despite the fact that there are of (laughs) course like black and Puerto Rican um, players, but like, yes, like, like everybody here is rich. They're all from Ivy league schools. They're all, there's a, there's the great irony here that like, this is a, this is a movie about undermining one meritocratic myth that is perpetuated by other meritocratic myths, right? Like the fact that they keep talking about how this kid is from Yale as if the Ivy league and as if like, um, education is, is any more of a meritocratic myth than baseball itself, which is hilarious, right? Like the whole Stanford thing keeps, keeps coming up. Like Aaron Sorkin can't help himself, but believe in these legends. But like, I guess he's very honest about it at the end of this movie, when he talks about the fact that Billy Bean wants to continue believing in the story, even though he just proved that it's nonsense. <laughs> um, right. Because we all have to on some level, which is fair. Right. And like kind of the whole idea of being human. Um, even if I have a very different opinion of what we need to do with that than maybe ultimately uh, he does. Um, I don't think that, 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 that is a charge to level against the movie itself because I think the movie itself gets there very well. I agree. Uh, I know that that was a lot of (laughs) you and Cody going back and forth, but honestly, like this is the, this is the intent. This is my hope for this recording was that I would be able to learn because when I watch sports movies of and it's weird to call this a sports movie because we've talked about so much about how it's an anti-sports sports movie. But when I watch movies where sports are at the center of the plot, I put away the, am I going to understand what this means to sports people? And I think this is helping me round it out. So excellent work. Is there anything else that we wanted to plumb any other depths that we haven't yet that we wanted to get through before we wrap up with, uh, with a little game of our own? Um, there are some really good lines in this movie. The children's game is like a really, really haunting, great line that I kept thinking about. Um, and there, there are some really good moments too, right? Like, uh, um, I think Cody, you brought it up earlier, but like, there's this great, like, I think the only slow-mo shot in this movie, uh, is like this great slow-mo shot of a bunch of players being walked because that's what they're trying to 
elicit, right? Is like take a bunch more uh, pitches because the more pitches you take, the more walks we get, the more walks we get, the more on bases we have, the more on bases we have, the more runs we score. Right. And so like, it's, but it's like, it's, it's such a good formal statement of what this movie is doing that like, the thing, the action that we're focusing on is looking at a bunch of people walking, which is the most boring thing that can happen in baseball. Um, and it's, it's literally <laughs> arguably but, like the most boring sport there right. is. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, sorry to, to cut you off there, Harry. Um, yeah, like, and <laughs> there are a lot of really great moments and like scenes of dialogue, as we've said, I won't plumb those uh, depths again, but I did think of one thing, and I think I thought of it when we were group watching Moneyball. Um, the In one of the like phone conference negotiation sequences, it's a lot of like Suzanne, uh, Billy Bean's like secretary or, or office administrator or whatever, you know, patch me into Steve. Oh, you've got Steve on the line. Uh, oh, which Steve? Etc. Um, there is a, a scene, like a, a just a couple second cutaway in, like towards the end of that conversation, to sort of help like recalibrate the tone of that scene and the movie in general. Where like uh, I think Billy is like, uh, "Put me through to see." Oh, I got Steve here. Never mind. And then it's just like a shot, a shot of Suzanne at her desk, just like not quite shaking her head and chuckling she's like oh yeah. that Billy Bean but like the body language is there she's like kind of like slightly grinning to herself looking very like calm and comfortable and just like sort of reminding you like oh yeah this is a ludicrous thing that it's okay you know it's okay for us to smile at this uh or or like I don't know like to to sort of like maybe the better framing is like to demythologize this process a right. little bit it it like, is a lot of we're chatting on the phone and like that in itself is silly and dumb billy bean is a silly child and uh suzanne exists and she matters right and she's a right. part of this story and ultimately just as important a part of this story as billy bean is because they're all equally important in that they're all just a part of the story and the story is what matters, not the people in it. Um, which like, you know, I, you can make the argument again, as we have that, like, it's, it's not fair to like, just extend this to baseball. We want to extend it further, but as the movie itself mentions, like it's a metaphor, right? So like the, the ultimate idea is that like, when we think in these terms, we can, we can expand this out and, recognize that all people are equal in importance, right? That's kind of what this movie is ultimately getting at is that we're all a part of the same story and we all matter. It's, you know. And I will say, uh, call, call a little bit of bullshit. Um, the song that his daughter sings to him just as the movie's ending is the show by Lenka, which did not come out until 2008. So Anachronism. Um, it, oh, this is, well, this is oh, a, a fictionalized universe where she wrote that song for Lanka, right? Holy and then Lanka shit. covered it. Holy shit. I'm a loser. I just need to enjoy the show. <laughs> then I think, Harry, it's time for us to ring in. Uh, if you're comfortable, Cody, taking on you know so much of this episode, the final Bring it segment. on, Daddy. Excellent. Yeah, it wouldn't it wouldn't be uh, an episode of Try Love without the best segment of Try Love, which is of course the segment <gasps> we like to call Cody's, Cody's Noties. Wow, thank you as always, gentlemen, for that uh, athletic introduction. Um, I gotta say, it's been such a pleasure discussing baseball uh, and sports in general with you fellas today. Um, the pleasure is all mine. Is, uh, hey, indubitably. 
um, knowing that this is almost certainly the only episode wherein I'll be able to force everyone to talk about sports with me, I felt I should leverage this segment to continue that discussion um, as much as possible anyway. So without further ado, this is For Try Love of the Game. Uh, the joke here is that for, <laughs> for Love of the Game is a baseball movie that I have not seen, but it's uh, about baseball and it's a movie, so it, whatever, it felt appropriate. Um, in any case, this is a, a pretty straightforward exercise, hopefully. Uh, basically, I'll be calling out movies that are not necessarily movies about baseball, but baseball might feature prominently in them in some way. Um, so I'll read off three clues to describe each movie. Uh, if you guess correctly after needing only one clue, you'll get three points, two points for a two clue correct guess, and one point for a three clue correct guess. As I'm reading, if you think you know the film being described, raise your little Zencaster hand. I'll try and have eyes on those. Um, once I see a hand raised, I will stop reading. I'll call on you. And if you're correct, you'll get the corresponding amount of points. Uh, if you're not correct, we'll keep going until someone can get it right. Each person oh can get one guess per round. So use that guess wisely. It is a... Uh, uh, a pitcher v hitter uh, situation, mano y mano. We've just got uh, Jason and Harry in the booth today. Um, oh God! So sparks yeah, are, are gonna fly. I mean, we embarrass ourselves in every one of the Cody's Noties trivia segments, but I think this one in particular will be uh, interesting. You know what? I'm going big. Harry is going the fuck down. Harry is gonna eat. Uh, eat, Ooh, eat he's calling his shot like cleats. Babe Ruth, pointing at the uh, bleachers. Man. <laughs> That is a reference. Ding, ding. Um, that's the sound of the bell. Uh, let's get into it. Um, first movie, first clue. This is a high school age comedy released in 1986. And some of these will be intentionally kind of vague, um, but I'm not seeing any hands. So I will get into the second clue. This was directed by someone very famous for making teenage centric movies. God. <laughs> Um, I see Harry's hand. Harry, wait, I have up. a, I have a clarifying question. Okay, it's, set, it's set in 1986. Did you say it came out in 1986? It was released in 1986. Oh fuck! Uh, you don't have hands up, Mackin. I was asking a question. Uh, he he checked his swing. I'm I'm okay with. Uh, you, there aren't many opportunities for y'all to to you know check. Um, I'm a very domineering <laughs> presence. So if you don't want to venture, I guess you don't have to. Uh, I would was like that a sigh of relief. Like, to hear the last clue, please. I'm sorry. All right. Buckle up, sports fans. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. I see Harry's hand. Harry, what's your guess? Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, the main characters of this movie go to a baseball game during the titular Day Off. I completely forgot about that scene. Hey, uh, yeah. But I remember, I remember the art museum scene, which says a lot about who I am. Uh, I mean, that's, I mean, it's the better scene, I think. Actually, I don't know. Uh, Ferris and Cameron go, uh, it, they, they heckle. They're hey, he can't, it, he can't, he Swing better. Yeah. Swing better. Yeah, that's a winner. <laughs> you know what I remember? Uh, the movie? I remember mostly the scene where they try to get the car to go back in miles by setting the, the <laughs> It's very good. Yeah, that's very funny. I always thought, I was like, that's not going to fucking work, is it? <laughs> Ever. <sighs> I, you know, I always... You know, I never loved that movie in part because, like, it just felt too happy and carefree. Like, the the antagonizing force was never that, like, threatening to me. But I guess I, too, need to just, you know, enjoy the show uh, because I'm also a loser. But um, I'll, hey. I'll grapple with that. I'll grapple with that a little bit later. For now, we've got our second movie here, and we've got our first clue for this movie. 
This particularly gritty, uh, I'm going to take that again. This particularly gritty film was released in 1979, and the city it takes place in is a big part of its identity. Ooh, cryptic. Uh, Jason, I see your hand up. What's your guess? 1979. Is this The Warriors? It is The Warriors! The baseball Uh, theories, I should have known. The baseball theories, baby! I'm going to, I'll read the other clues just for transparency. The second clue would have been, this is a previous episode of ours that I was not on. And the third clue uh, was, I'll shove that bat up your ass and turn you into a popsicle. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, the Warriors. I was, thinking, uh, yeah. I was thinking too narrow. I'm thinking too literally about this. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, hopefully you're not too baseball furious uh, following that. Oh. Um, hey. Hey. Quick check, uh, check at the scoreboard. Everybody's on the board, um, which is very cool and good. Jason's uh, <laughs> up at uh, three points, Harry with one. Uh, as we get into our third movie here, first clue. This is a PG-rated adventure movie released in 1991 from a director who has already made an appearance in the Non-Lon series. I see Jason's hand. Jason, what's your guess? 1991. And then Harry will have the next guess because I see his hand. Yes. Um, fuck. I I was just looking through the filmography of this filmmaker and it is escaping me. And I feel like a fool, but I have to, uh, I don't know. Um, um, if you, if you want to check your swing, feel free to. However, we do have Harry well, uh, on deck. Uh, I'm going to guess ready player one. Ready player one is the guess. That is not the, the correct answer. Harry, uh, are you going to, what <laughs> are you gonna swoop in and, and take this yeah it's i uh, i think it's et uh cool guess it is not mm-hmm. et we're okay. out we're out of guesses i will read the other clues um just for for shits and giggles a second clue it's one of many adaptations of a famous particular piece of children's literature and the third and final clue this movie stars dustin hoffman in the titular role that role of course is Hook, hook, hook. Uh, Which very prominently features baseball. I forgot that Spielberg directed that. To be honest, yeah, yeah. Um, for those uh, unaware, Peter Banning, the the Peter Pan character stand-in, uh, played by Robin Williams, his son is a mediocre baseball player, as I have in my notes. There's a scene of him playing Little League and a scene of him later playing baseball with Pirates. Um, just not the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, that is a joke for the jocks. Um, so scores remain unchanged. We are halfway through the game here. Uh, I will. That was, that was one of the first, um, performances, like acting performances I ever like truly appreciated was Dustin Hoffman as hook. Like I remember being a a small child and being like, that's what acting looks like. (laughs) Honestly, after having seen, cause like that was almost certainly the first time I saw Dustin Hoffman in a movie after seeing more of his films since then i only appreciate hook more and i honest i genuinely really like that movie I, it Me gets too. a weird rep but yeah i i think hook rules um shout out to hook uh moving along clunkily to number four uh this is the first clue this is a comedy released in 1993 wherein the events of the film take place across a single day a single day uh, I see no hand. Uh, oh, I do see a hand. I know. I do. I, that was an, a- that was an accident. I was trying to unmute okay, myself. All right, all right. Could, you, uh, could you repeat the clue, please? I'm sorry. Uh, he, he checked his swing. Uh, I'm going to look down the first baseline. And, yep, he confirms he did not go. Uh, so I will read the first clue again. This is, a com- this is a comedy released in 1993, wherein the events of the film take place across a single day. 
Thank you. Of course. Uh, moving along to the second clue. This movie is known for having an extensive ensemble cast and for being one of the first feature film credits for actors like Mila Jovovich, Parker Posey, and Ben Affleck. And Ben Affleck. Uh, this is, this th- is not, I'm going to feel like a real fool. It's a, probably a Kevin Smith movie, but I, I don't know enough about his filmography. Uh, me neither. So it might not be that, but I will move oh, along to the, right. I will, I will move along to the, the third clue. This movie is the origin of, all right, all right, all right. I saw Jason and then Harry. Jason, what's your guess? Days and Confused. Yeah, it's Days, Days and Confused. and Confused. That is correct. The Richard Linklater film from 1993. One of the leads in this movie is an incoming high school freshman. And in one scene, he plays a baseball game while also keeping an eye out for the high school seniors who are trying to beat the shit out of him with a wooden paddle. Man, is that a weird movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or at least a good plot point. Uh, yeah. In that, that's, that's a strange one. I only watched that one for the first time late last year. Uh, but I just got to mm-hmm. say, like, uh, quick peek behind the curtain, parting the kimono. Um, I it is a really bizarre experience having to like. I'm gonna put in buzzer buzzers and 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 bells for when we get answers wrong or answers right, and I'm Ooh. having to take notes on when I get an answer right, and I keep forgetting to do that. So little editors. <laughs> this note, is like the first time it's ever happened, right? You edit, just don't have any note, experience. Pre- prevent me from getting it right because I'm going to miss something in editing. Well, I, I was reading the Wikipedia for Hook, uh, which is why I missed the first clue. So I apologize. That movie has a 26% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's what? fucking buck wild. I, last time that, I saw it was when I was like yeah. five or six, but I feel like it, like even without, uh, you know, any sort of critical filter, I feel like, I feel like I felt better about that movie than a 26. It's Jesus. so much better than that. Yeah, that's, uh, that honestly would be worth digging into to see what was girdling their loins back then, moviegoers. Come on. It's just like, uh, I just watched Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which has like a 54% oh, yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes. That's a oh, very what? good movie, and people are dumb, I guess. <sighs> Man, uh, I can't wait for you to see uh, Sympathy for Lady Vengeance or yeah. whatever. The, yeah, I think I, it's just Lady Vengeance, yeah. And Lady then Vengeance, Old Boy yeah. Is the, the second one. Uh, man good movies um the the vengeance trilogy plus hook uh as like a cooldown that made for <laughs> a, a brutal and then amazing day um but uh continuing on with this game here i my i'm all out of segues uh movie number five first clue this is a biographical drama from 2015 that's all you get for that clue uh wow holy shit okay uh jason and then harry what are your what what you got biographical drama is this jobs uh jobs is the the guess uh it is not the answer i, I wasn't going to dig into whether you were referring to the, like the 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 danny boy yeah, one or the I was hoping I could just one like, whatever. sort of sort of like <laughs> slide the uh, yeah the wrong. steve jobs movie uh harry are you putting your hand down or uh, what's going on I I had to check on the the name of the movie, but in the process I saw the date. But I think in the in the spirit of uh, not using my Googles, I have to make my guess anyway. I was gonna guess forty two, the Jackie Robinson uh, with uh, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace. Um, but that came out in twenty thirteen, not twenty fifteen, so I am incorrect. Gotcha. I appreciate that honesty. Um... I I will make make a point of saying use your Google's not uh, or new, use your noodles not your Google's in in future games. But I I definitely appreciate it. It's fucked up because like I knew that the name of the movie was forty two because I know that Jackie <laughs> Robinson's number is forty two. But like 
I don't know. I don't know what I was. Yeah. I was my confidence is is lacking. I'm like Billy Bean, where I have to get confident tied, before yeah, I get he's good. Tied with Jason Daphnis, I don't know how confident you can really be. I'm pretty sure you're ahead of me, aren't you? Yeah, it's, it's four I? to one. Oh, yeah, it's, four, it's four to one, my my dude. Uh, 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 I mean, if if this is a you know a nine inning game, we're we're you know at the set past actually the seventh inning stretch. You know, it's 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 a long it's a long ruling process. I Damn. will read the other clues uh, just for transparency's sake. Again, um, the second clue it won multiple Academy Awards. Again, this is a 2015 biographical drama. It won multiple Academy Awards, including Best Picture. And then my my third clue would have been: we've got two stories here. A story about degenerate, uh, degenerate clergy, and a story about a bunch of lawyers turning child abuse into a cottage industry. Which story do you want us to write? Because we're writing one of them, and it's you know it's spotlight. It's spotlight. Uh, yeah. Nice, nice. Not, not necessarily an obvious choice for this game. Um, pretty heavy choice. Uh, apologies for that. But there is at least one scene that takes place at a baseball game where Mark Ruffalo and John Slattery's characters are just having a conversation. That was, that was a very good question. I it takes like place good, in Boston, right? Yes. Yep. So, like, I, I feel like any any uh, movie that takes place in Boston, like by default, is just eligible for this game because, like, oh, there's yeah. definitely at least one baseball game in it, so it's fine. Yeah. Hey. Uh, yeah, I could have thrown the town in here, you know, and I'm not, you know, without. I guess I have seen the town, but just like, uh, yeah, Ben Affleck's the town. Yeah, there was there was baseball in Probably it. Probably somewhere in the background. Yeah, an establishing shot. Yeah, some kid had a had a Red Sox hat on. That counts. Uh, go Sox. Uh, the sixth and final film uh, of this exercise. Um, first clue. This film was released in 1949. Second clue. It is part of a previous series that we did on this podcast. And the third, uh, and actually last clue of the game. This is a Criterion DVD that Aaron borrowed for me and never watched. I saw Harry first and then Jason. Yeah, this is, of course, Stray Dog. I should have uh, known from the first. It is Stray Dog. I buried this one as much as possible uh, because yeah. I was I was fearing that it would be on the on the forefront of y'all's uh, lovely uh, lovely brains. But um, hey, somebody got a point out of it. Uh, yeah, we're of course referring to Stray Dog, uh, the 1949 Akira Kurosawa film. Uh, there's a scene in that in which the cops pursue a lead by staking out a baseball game. Um, and still it's, perhaps one of my favorite baseball scenes in any movie it's quite good um hopefully i mean even better but it's close uh compared to the the quality of of this game uh we ended out uh ended out we ended with a score uh a box score if you will of uh four points for jason and two points for harry um Ooh, well that's well a run, out. baby yeah um is it yeah that's that's nine innings um continuing with that metaphor uh thanks for playing fellas remember that uh you know listeners at home uh, remember that we always do it all for try love of the game thank you so much cody thank you for leading us through another episode of uh cody's noties and for leading us into uh, a wonderful episode of try love with your non-lon boys pick um i genuinely had an incredible time watching and discussing that movie with you also thank you so much uh i didn't i didn't toss but uh does aaron has have any final thoughts before we i am too smart for my co-host that everyone likes i'm gonna manipulate you for a few reasons i am money i am pain i am very bad no one wants to talk to me at thanksgiving my co-host will see i am too smart to help you i will join you underneath help in time 
Thank you very much for listening to Trilove. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. They are currently playing series, or excuse me, films from the restored versions of Wong Kar Wai's filmography. Um, some on film, some on DCP. Uh, get tickets at Trilon.org or, or, and or follow them at Trilon Cinema on most social media. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody. Uh, oh, whoa. Uh, I'm Cody Narvison. Um, I hope to see y'all uh, vaccinated and at a, a baseball game in the real world real soon. Um, but until then, you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I'm sorry for very nearly interrupting Jay Cha. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I think I was just thrown. I was thrown by my loss. I was reeling. I was trying to <laughs> sort of pick up the pieces. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, um, I know that this is another devastating loss for fans of Harry everywhere. Um, I know I've been letting you down a lot, but if Moneyball showed us anything, Get it's that reevaluating the, the game can, can lead to some real results. And so this was a, this was a rebuilding pod for me and we're going to come back better, stronger, leaner, uh, and wiser next time. And, and so Cody's notice will have a very different conclusion. Um, I've been Harry. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Stockieri. I know these guys. I know the way they think, and they will erase us. And everything we've done here, none of it'll matter. Any other team wins the World Series, good for them. They're drinking champagne, they get a ring. But if we win, on our budget, with this team, we'll have changed the game. And that's what I want. I want it to mean something. <laughs> <laughs>